um, in southern France. I work with Project Northern Lights, which Sagemont has been generous to send us many teams and some of your students to work with us in the summer. And so my job is um, helping coordinate all of that project. And I do what I do for the glory of God so that the, um, the gospel can be sent down to North Africa and be a light there among the Muslims that live in Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. So you, you are based in southern France. Yes. And what is the primary means you use to extend the gospel to these people? Well, with Project Northern Lights, we distribute packets that have a New Testament in French and Arabic and then a Jesus film in 16 different languages and then children's books and and a a book for adults as well. And we offer these packets freely as a gift to any North African um, passing through Marseille that would like to have one. And these immigrants that have come up from North Africa to live in Europe and work there, during the summer months, they go back home for vacation to see their families. And because it's illegal to distribute materials in North Africa, Africa, we meet them right at the port gates before they get on boats to sail home. So it's kind of like standing at a terminal at the airport, offering them these gifts. And last summer, we distributed 23,500 packets to North Africans going into North Africa. So these are ways for uh, God's word to get into a place that you can't easily get into. Yes. And um, Does the populace there in southern France, the North African, primarily Muslim population, are they glad you're there? Tell tell us about their response generally. Well, um, some of them are glad and some of them are not. Um, I I like to explain, you know, we we gave out 23,500 that were accepted, but we offer to everyone who comes through and only one out of five accepts. So that means we had about 80,000 people who told us no. And usually when they tell us no, some of them are nice about it and some of them are not. Um, But I do have a story I like to tell to show um, about how people do want to receive this packet. Um, We had, we usually go and distribute in the mornings at about, we start about four in the morning and then we go until about four in the afternoon. It's because that's what time the North Africans are coming through to get on the boats. And so one evening around seven o'clock, one of your church members, actually, he was driving and he noticed that there were North Africans driving driving through getting on the boat and that we weren't there. And so he called and he said, we need to get down there and give them their packets. And so we scurried and got down there as fast as we could. And by that point, there were no more cars driving through the gates. Um, They had all gotten on already, but there were five cars of North Africans sitting parked and they were waiting. And as we walked up, four um, Muslims got out of each car. And so there were 20 Muslims walking towards us, big, long beards, long flowing robes. It was a little bit intimidating to have 20 um, North African Muslims just marching towards us. And so we went up to them, and before we could offer them anything or say anything, they said, we knew that you would come and that you would have Bibles. We'd like to receive ours so we can get on the boat. And so they'd been sitting there waiting for us um, because they'd heard that we were there to give out Bibles. And so there are people who do want those Bibles. They've heard from the Algerian government who's told them, don't take those packets in Marseille, that they can get a Bible when they come through. And you know how it is when you tell someone don't do something. They're going to go do it. So we're, we're always very thankful to the Algerian government for doing publicity for us. Nikaeli, uh, you've been with the International Missions Board for how long? Seven years. And where have your assignments taken you? Um, I have served in Portugal, in Turkey, the United Arab Emirates, and France. And the uh, 
assignment in France will come to an end eventually? Um, no, actually, um, I've been there for the last three years, and I'm on stateside assignment right now, waiting to be appointed as a career missionary in March in Memphis, and then I will go to North Africa and study Arabic and then return to France. And so... Do you have any, have you studied Arabic? Do you know anything? I do know some Arabic, yes. I lived in the United Arab Emirates and picked up a little bit of Arabic while I was there, and I've been hearing it for five years. And, I mean, you know how children learn language. They hear it. They start to repeat what they've heard. And so um, I have a very high understanding of Arabic, but I don't know how to put the words I know together into sentences. So that's why I'm going to go study. I think there's a question there. Yes, we have had many who have come back after they have received packets. Um, we had a gentleman a year ago that he walked up to us and he said, I got this Bible five years ago. I've been reading it for five years and I have questions. And we said, yes, sir. Well, what's your question? And he said, I understand a lot what's in here and I believe about Jesus. I just don't understand what I need to do to become a follower of Jesus. And so we said, well, let us tell you. And so he accepted the Lord that day. And so we do have many who have come back through after. After they have received a packet and they ask us questions. We also have people who watch us year after year after year and they say that different ones will tell us different things. We've had some say I, I told myself if they offer me after 10 years I'll take it and so they waited 10 years and we've been out there for 14 now and so we've had people this summer that said I waited 10 years and now I'm going to take it. Um, and so there are people who come every year and they know they can get their Bible from us and they'll give it as gifts to their families even. Have any other questions? Thanks for asking, RL. We have the privilege of having this wonderful gal with us. Ask her whatever you'd like. Is it intimidating being in that culture as a woman? Yes. Um, I believe that God has given me a gift of boldness. Um, and so for me, it's a little bit different than for most people. But um, I hear from our volunteers that they are very intimidated and, and we try to encourage them in that. And Joshua 1 9 says, have I not commanded you? Be bold and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid for the Lord your God is with you. And so I've memorized that and I carry that in my heart. And um, there's times where in the moment when it's time to, it would make sense to be afraid and intimidated. God gives me boldness and courage to step forward. And then afterwards I start shaking and <laughs> crumble. <laughs> so, but, um, no, and I, I, everywhere I go, I say, we need men out there. Um, women are not going to reach the Muslim world. It's a, it's a man's culture and we need men out there to be a, a, a male presence. And usually women, Muslim women will respond to me much better when they see me not talking to their men. Um, and so we need, men to distribute to men so that our women can distribute to the women and so we need men out there yes sir I was um, 22 when I first applied and 23 when I went so ma'am did you have a question
it's not illegal for them to own one, um, and so we remind them of that. Um, if they have multiple, then yes, they will get in trouble for that. But just to have one is, is not illegal for them. Now, we do have problems down at the gates that there are Muslims who don't want any other Muslims to take the packets. And so sometimes we will offer a packet to a car, and the car will receive it, and another Muslim will reach in and grab it back out. And we've had problems with that for years. Um, and we have people who go and take it right out of someone's hand who wanted it and even rip it up in front of us. Um, they've set fire to them. Um, they, they don't often show respect when they don't want someone else to have that packet. So you, um, one of the ways you can pray is pray that the people who really want to have a packet will be able to receive it and keep it. Um, so, yes, sir? Thank you. Nikayla, tell us about how you are sustained financially. Um, I am paid through the gifts that you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering and to the cooperative program. 100% of the money that you give to Lottie Moon goes overseas to our missionaries there. And so that's how I am paid and how I get to go to language school and pay my rent and buy my baguettes every day that I eat um, and my fresh fruit. So thank you for um, paying my living and letting me get to go over there and do the work that I get to do. Want to pray for Nikaeli, so I'm going to ask her uh, to be specific about how we could be praying, and then we'll join together. What could we pray for? Well, I tell people they can pray three ways. If I can be transparent and tell you, it's not real easy to meet a Christian husband when I'm working among North African men. Um, so you can just pray that God will send the right man along who would like to um, work with these North Africans and that I could be a helpmate to him. And then um, I'm doing a lot of speaking between now and Christmas, um, just help, trying to help promote Lottie Moon and um, get the support that we need. There are people who desire to go and be serve as missionaries with their lives and they can't because we don't have enough money to send them so i'm going around asking um, thanking you for your support and asking you to keep giving more because god keeps calling more of us to go and then um i'm gonna like i said i'm gonna start studying arabic and it's not exactly an easy language so i would appreciate your prayer support in that thank you we really appreciate you you being here um let's pray for this wonderful uh, gal specifically what she asked and then uh, other things as she comes to mind. Lord Jesus, we're so glad to so easily bow before you and thank you for captivating our hearts uh, and the heart of one such as Nikaeli, uh, saved to serve. What an example she is. And she'll need your ongoing supply and sustenance to continue, won't she, Lord Jesus? Thank you for being her supply through churches such as this and others. We would be remiss not to continue. So we pray you might bless in a wonderful way the Lottie Moon offering which Nikaeli and so many other members of our missionary corps are so dependent on. And then the language training, Arabic, not so easy to learn. We surely do pray you would make the process enjoyable and remarkably uh, effective. So we pray that you would give Nikaeli the capacity to learn the language, not as an end in itself, but as the means of sharing truth to Arabic-speaking people. 
And then, Lord, thank you for Michaeli's, uh, Nikaeli's weddedness to you. She's in a covenant relationship, and you are her heavenly husband, and nothing else matters. Now, if you see fit to give her uh, one of a different sort, that would be great. Seems to be the desire of her heart. And so uh, when you think it's a good idea, we pray you would join her to her life partner Again, not as an end in itself, but with the purpose of being able to be together and serving you together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for protecting her, for meeting her needs, and for lending her even for a short time to us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Nikaeli. We really appreciate you being here. Good news, Nikaeli is from Huntsville. Uh, bad news, it's Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> and there she is uh, all the way across the world because the Lord has uh, called her to do so. Um, our missionary corps is uh, probably the finest in the world. Uh, the International Missions Board, which is part of our convention, has thousands of members and some of the highest quality folks. It's a great privilege for us to get to meet one face-to-face from time to time. And this will motivate us, I think, uh, to be a little more conscientious about what we're going to do with the Lottie Moon uh, offering. That's how people like Nikaeli at personal sacrifice are sustained over there. And that's how we, and this is not fluff, that's how we establish a connection with the work the Lord's using her to do even over there. Thank you so much for for coming. Are you going to another place now, another class? Okay, great. Blessings to you. Uh, Nikaeli's going to be here in the States for a while, as she mentioned, and then we'll be heading uh, back overseas. Well, 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 here we are, and boy, do I feel short. I know what. Yes, thank you so much. I love the view from here. This is so good. So we are in First Peter, uh, folks, as you know, and uh, we'll do a little bit more of it today. We are in First Peter chapter 4, and... Uh, we left off at verse 17, and there are uh, maybe some tricky concepts there, uh, which we'll look at just briefly. Take a look, First Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Remember the context has been impending suffering, persecution of Christians. They're experiencing it already, but Peter has warned them that it may get worse. Remember, Nero, the emperor, is on the throne, not a very reasonable guy. So there was... Uh, orchestrated, governmentally inspired, legalized persecution of members of the way, it was called, Christians. And remember, Peter said, uh, but, but don't think it's unusual, don't think it's abnormal. Remember, he said, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal. Kind of a metaphor, but we mentioned maybe, maybe literally, because Nero was burning Christians, you know, in the day. He said, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your for your testing, for your proving, the word means in the original language, for your development, uh, uh, for your purification. So in that context, look verse 17. It's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Um, Those are Christians, household of God, another name for believers. Uh, And if it begins with us, Christians, first, 
what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. Now a quotation from Proverbs 11. And if it be with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? So here's what's going on, it seems to me. Peter, um, at the end of this chapter, is essentially saying, look, my fellow Christians, members of the household of the faith, you've responded to the gospel. You are fully redeemed. If even for you, though fully redeemed, life is tough. What... um precedes the consummation of your salvation, if what precedes the consummation of your salvation leaves you sometimes brutalized, persecuted, and experiencing the fiery ordeals of life, can you imagine what judgment will be like for those who haven't even responded to the gospel? He is not saying When you go through all this, you do so to be saved. That's a misinterpretation of the text. He's saying if you, having been already saved, have to walk this road of hardship and testing and persecution before you meet uh, the one you are wedded to in a covenant bond, uh, before he wraps his arm around you and says, welcome home, good and faithful servant. If you have to go through all of these preliminaries, because that's the nature of life, and you be saved, can you imagine what will be uh, the outpouring of the judgmental wrath of God upon those who have rejected the gospel? So he says this by way of encouragement to believers. He's saying you're going to experience the pains of life. Don't despair unduly. Yours are temporary. Yours are not unto salvation. Jesus has been sufficiently pained to uh, procure your salvation for you. But if before you go to be with him, you go through these hardships of life, don't despair. Think about what the destiny of those who've rejected the giver of life will be like. Your travail will come to an end. You'll meet the Lord face to face. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or tears. It says there'll be no longer any death. Think about that. Oh, my goodness. A death which touches us uh, so painfully and closely, so many of us. There'll be a day when that reality will give way to ultimate reality. He's saying, please understand, even at the fullest extent of intensity of persecution and pain, you may suffer here. It's nothing. Uh, like that, which will be experienced by those who are rejecters of the gospel. You are in God's house. You're members of the household of God. So, so keep things in the right perspective, essentially, is what he's saying. Now, I want to ask you to do something. Keeping that in mind, the context being suffering, can you now go to chapter 5, verse 1? And, uh, Announce to the rest of us what the first word in your Bible is. Therefore, or uh, do you have anything like therefore in your verse? 
wherefore, something like that. You don't have it in your translation? How does your translation, can you read your verse? I'm just curious. How, how does yours begin? You know, th- this uh, couple of Okay, that's enough. What translation do you have? Yeah. How shall I be tactful? It's excellent. And uh, it has left out a key word. This is not a polemic against anyone's translation. Please, just read the Bible. Oh, oh! I, I meant I, uh, they use it in verse nineteen, the therefore, but it doesn't repeat itself in verse one of chapter one. Yeah, see, it should be two therefores. There is a therefore in verse nineteen, and there is a there or a therefore or a wherefore. Same thing in verse one. Okay, it's just interesting. It's all right. Nobody's going to lose their salvation over it. Um, it's it's just that you mess up my whole point here. No, I'm only I'm only kidding. If you have a more expensive translation. <laughs> <laughs> that includes more words, like the word therefore or wherefore, I want to ask you a question. Don't you find it to be a little unusual that a new chapter would begin that way? Therefore, I mean, if you began conversation w- with someone, you come upon someone and you just start out with therefore, what does the word therefore presume? What does it make you, the reader, do? What does it obligate you to do when you read the word therefore? Yeah, it makes you go back. Absolutely. That, that's the, dev- it's a connecting term. So, so you have, someone says therefore, and you know something is going to follow from it. But before you think about what's following it, you think about what preceded it. Because it's a connecting kind of a link between what has gone before and what is now going to be said. So first let's see what's said. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. That's verse 2. Don't do it under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Okay, so we see what has followed the use of the word therefore. Peter is reminding elders or spiritual leaders in various local bodies uh, to carry out their ministry in an acceptable way. So I ask you, what does that have to do, do you think, with what has proceeded? How does he use the word therefore with reference to what he just said? How does what he just said to elders relate back to what he has said about suffering present and in, and probably in anticipation of greater suffering to come. Could you please tell me what the therefore is there for? And here we're just going to guess a little bit, so don't be afraid. Any ideas? Yes, Jesse. I need to repeat that because it really bears repeating. That is an excellent insight. Uh, Jesse is saying, since he, Peter, and you correct me, Jesse, if I don't get this right. Since Peter has been speaking about suffering, uh, perhaps those leading in the church might cower in a little uh, um, fear. 
and cease to lead at they, as they ought to in light of the fact that suffering persecution uh, of the church is on the horizon. And Peter is exhorting them, no, keep doing it as unto God in spite of what's happening. That is an excellent, excellent uh, insight. Yes, sir. That's great. Uh, what about if the leaders thought they were above, they would be immune to persecution? This may be for others on a lower level, but it, by virtue of their position, they would escape persecution. So that would be the connection. That's an excellent insight as well. Good, good. There's no right or wrong answers. We're filling in the picture here. Yeah, Charlie? Hang on. Does this pertain at all yes, to what we're talking yes. about? Okay, good. China, Just checking. Right now, the, the uh, political people over there, you know, the red Chinese, are incarcerating the ministers in the underground churches. Yes. Everyone they can find. They put them in prison and torturing them. And God, in his, in his goodness, is raising up 18- and 19-year-old kids to come in and fill the pulpit and giving them power uh, to to uh, preach the gospel and, and take over their place. But if you think we don't have persecution, one of these days it's going to be like that here too. Okay, good. There is a vague connection. Thank you. Vague. Between, oh, well, all right, maybe not vague. All right, semi-direct. Okay, what are you going <laughs> to uh, Any other thoughts? Uh, yes, ma'am. Wonderful. So, um, uh, so the connection is some, some may, it's a matter of motive, I guess, in this case. Uh, uh, Peter is exhorting the leaders, continue to occupy their, your role in spite of what's going to happen, but not, not as if you're obligated to, but as a matter of, uh, privilege and love to the Lord. Did I get that sort of right? What you're saying? Did I miss it? You think? Oh, I got it, Willard. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mrs. B. That's good. Yeah, Brother Chuck. Yes. Folks, I hate to admit this. Well, boy, was that right on target, Brother Chuck. Um, everyone, everyone was getting it. Uh, by the way, just in a general term, that's how you want to read the Bible. Kind of slow down. Ask yourself questions. Every word's important. So, so really, really good. And uh, you, you all hit it. C- can I follow up on, uh, continue with Brother Chuck's line of thought? Did you all hear? Okay, let me repeat it to you. Brother Chuck, tell me if I get this right. Uh, The connection is uh, Peter is holding the leaders in the church 
uh, uh, the elders responsible for addressing to the flock issues like this, uh, the right response under suffering. Not neglecting this reality is part of the teaching. Feed the flock it, it all. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't just say a lot of nice stuff. You have to address the issue of persecution because the role of the elder is to feed the flock, particularly with regard to realities such as pain and suffering and persecution. Did I get it kind of? Is that sort of? Uh, so that is really, really a super point. Listen, folks. When things get tough, you, you, you want a leader who has God's mind, God's heart, God's perspective on it, and who could lead you in accordance with that. If when things get tough, the leader caves in, what are you going to do? Uh, when I was in the military, uh, if it's a combat situation and the commanding officer starts caving in, oh, you can forget it. You talk about morale. You know, sometimes those guys find their, they don't make it through. Jason, you know what I'm talking about? The leader is everything, particularly in times of, of crisis. I remember years ago, uh, here in Houston, we had one of our many storms. I don't remember which one it was. They all run together after a while. And it caused damage in certain areas of our city. Some people uh, had their homes flooded and roofs blown off and all the rest. And on one of the local news stations, I don't remember which one, they were interviewing people who had just suffered the loss of their homes. And one of the men who was being interviewed, pretty much at random, I recognized him because he had a... a um, a television show. He was a preacher. Not someone whose theology uh, uh, I had a real affinity for, but apparently a lot of people did. And uh, Brother Chuck, it, 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 it was that kind of preaching that said there aren't storms if you're a Christian. You know, you're, you're not going to get flooded. You, you, you know, that, 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 kind of, that kind of thing. He, he wasn't addressing what Peter was addressing at all. And he looked uh, terribly unkempt. His hair was here and there, and he was wearing a, just this old T-shirt, you know, and he was crying when, the, when being interviewed. And I'm not, I wasn't hardened towards him. I was saddened because he had nothing, nothing in his theological repertoire to help him uh, during the storms of life. He only knew when there was prosperity and you get everything you want. You know, he knew how to be happy. <laughs> but he didn't know how to have joy even in the midst of the storm. So the poor guy, he, he was crying and uh, while being interviewed and said things like, uh, we have lost everything. There is nothing left. My home and the entirety of its contents are gone. It's all gone. There is nothing left. Amen. I mean, what in the world? That's not the kind of guy who you want to follow in the midst of the hurricane. 
That's a guy who had no theology of hardship or suffering, only a theology of prosperity. That's not a guy who's going to lead you victoriously through a storm. He had no sense of ultimate reality. He said, all is gone. I understand. All material things he possessed are gone. But what about spiritual riches? Is his salvation gone? Is his adoption gone? Is his forgiveness gone? Is his entrance into the eternal kingdom, is it gone? Is his companionship with a God who will not let him go, is it gone? Is God's capacity to use this horrific time in his life, even for his good in a way we don't know, is that gone? Are the, is the consolation of the scriptures, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I use all things for the good to those who love me, called according to my uh, purposes. I am your redeemer. I am your rock. He who del- who who gave, uh, uh, did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him also freely give us all things? The consolation of the word of God is that gone. So uh, I I wasn't down on him. I just thought, you know, if I was looking for a leader to follow during this spiritual storms of life, it would not be that one. So one may be a quite an effective, dramatic, and attractive speaker, but there's more to being a leader in a local body than just communicating. It's a strength of character. It's a gift of leadership so that the leader can see ultimate realities in spite of the storms of life and thus help the rest of us to get down the to to get down the road so sometimes um we are relocated and we move and so on a lot of times we're asked as ministers could you recommend a church in this new area or uh, can you give me some guidelines uh, and one of the guidelines i'd like to offer to to people is uh, find a church led by someone with the gift of leadership. I don't mean just leadership skills that you can get maybe in the corporate world. I'm talking about a spiritual leadership as a gift, uh, uh, the gift of commanding trust and uh, confidence and assurance and a measure of security uh, that no matter what may befall us, uh, this particular leader is going to keep his eyes and thus my eyes um, on on the sovereign one who is seated on the throne. Um, I, I'm not. I don't. Ha- I think I don't have an impure motive in saying I personally think we have that leader and have for the last forty-five uh, years or so. I don't know, forty-eight. Year. I, I don't know. Um, see. Um, I get to a point where, I, let me be honest, I don't, I don't really care about the specific decisions our pastor makes. Sometimes people ask, I know they ask Brother Chuck as well, what, do you agree with the pastor? Do you agree? Uh, you know, you get to a point where that's irrelevant because you know the heart of the pastor. And if you agree about it, I mean, I don't agree with everything my wife comes up with, but I'm, you know, I'm not looking for another wife. 
I mean, you get to a point where there's like a, a relationship. So with our pastor, I mean, you know, give a guy a break. After 45 years, you either trust someone or you don't. Well, I, I mean, here's, here's, a, I, I just don't see him being like, all is lost. Oh. You know, I see him using it as an opportunity to direct people's attention to ultimate realities uh, that we cannot forfeit. And he has demonstrated. So you want to look for a church led by someone with a gift of spiritual leadership, for crying out loud, who you're reasonably sure can get you through the storms of life. Notice he says, I exhort the elders. By the way, um, many will automatically think that's a reference to one's age. That is not true. It is a reference to one's seniority in a local body, but not so much a function of age as much a function of spiritual maturity and demonstrated ministry potential. And so that could be an older person for sure, and it could be a younger person for sure. If this wasn't true, um, then we wouldn't read in the scriptures, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech Conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. So this is, uh, um, look, an older person can be mature or immature in the faith. A younger person can be mature or immature in the faith. Sometimes an older person has not sufficiently learned from his or her life experience. And they're... (laughs) they're, They don't have much to offer others. Uh, 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 Sometimes a younger person has nothing (laughs) uh, to offer in the way of spiritual leadership. So all all the term means is an elder is not... I've known of churches who automatically promote to certain uh, positions of influence those simply because they've been there a long time or they're older or they got, you know, white hair or something like some people I know. No. Uh, that may serve a person well, life experience, but not automatically so. You have to look for spiritual parameters of maturity, not just chronological ones. So he says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Now this is interesting because he's more than their fellow elder, isn't he? He's an apostle. But he doesn't say, I exhort you elders as your apostle. He said, no, fellow elder, you know what he's doing? He's responding to them the way he will soon exhort them to respond to those allotted to their charge. Don't lord it over them. That is not permissible. And he says, and I too am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So how did Peter respond to the sufferings of Christ when the Lord was uh, taken captive? falsely accused, imprisoned, about ready to face trial. Peter surely witnessed it. How did he do? Did he get good grades? He ran, Charlie. He denied the Lord, did he not? Why in the world would Peter even bring this up? I think it's a way of insinuating, guys, don't wait to be flawless and perfect before you lead the flock allotted to your charge. Nobody is but the Lord Jesus. Look at me. You saw how I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. However, 
I'm also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. I have a past, and in the past, I denied the Lord Jesus. But I have a future. I'm a partaker of the glory along with you that is to be revealed. So when you're looking for church leadership, you're surely looking for good, mature leadership. But please don't look for flawless, <laughs> uh, sinlessly perfect all-wise, all-knowing church leadership. They don't exist. Only the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. You know where he got that? He got it from the chief shepherd. Do you remember the Lord's post-resurrection appearance when he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. It's just what Brother Chuck was saying. Feed them. Give them the whole truth. Feed them. And so Peter is now taking that lesson he heard from the Lord, and he's passing it on to the under-shepherds. The Lord's the chief shepherd. Pastors, in my opinion, pastors, elders, presbyters are terms used interchangeably, almost synonymously in the New Testament. Now, you don't have to buy that. We're still friends um, uh, but, 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 but I think a pastor is an under shepherd of the chief shepherd. And that term is used in the New Testament interchangeably, synonymously with the terms, uh, with the term elder. And of course, Peter is speaking of elders here. Shepherd the flock of God among you, not under compulsion. You know, if a guy, when the alarm clock, a guy in the ministry, when the alarm clock goes off on Sunday, can hardly scrape himself out of bed if he's saying, Ugh, Sunday. Man, we just did Sunday last week. I don't know if he's in the right spot. There are times and things in the ministry that none of us as ministers really look forward to do. That's different. But if there's a pattern of um, hardship in doing the work of ministry, I mean emotional hardship, I don't like this, it's not satisfying, I just push myself in that place, out of that place. That's probably not the best place for that person. That person probably would do himself and the flock a favor to look for another kind of vocation. Because there ought to be a measure of, uh, not compulsion, but voluntariness that says, oh God, you could use anybody. That you have enabled me to be in full-time sacred ministry is a privilege the likes of which I cannot fathom and for which I will be eternally grateful. There has to be a measure. It's not a job. You don't punch a clock. Oh, five o'clock, I'm done. Phew, I'm glad that's over. Certain aspects, sure, certain things, but, but the totality of the ministry, if a person feels compelled to do it rather than, oh, I'm so blessed to do this, something's wrong. Then it says, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain. Now, the Bible teaches 
members of the flock to support leaders in the flock. Now, that may sound a little distasteful, but that's what it says. It says, from those from whom you receive spiritually, return materially. That's why we ought to support uh, people like the beautiful gal who was with us, Nikaley. Uh, as she gives out spiritually, others of us are responsible to provide materially. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's the way is if you're new to, to, to Bible things, members of a church are responsible for providing for the financial needs uh, of its ministerial staff. Um, that is not sordid gain. That is legitimate scriptural provision. Why? So that the ministers can be free of undue financial pressure which might otherwise distract them from the doing of their ministry. That's, that's the way it is. That's not sordid gain, but there can be the temptation to be in the ministry for sordid gain. In times past, we've had applicants for different vacated positions here in the church. Nobody that I know of whom we have now uh, is who I'm speaking of, but applicants. And sometimes uh, when we get to interview, if, if we're asked to a potential applicant, sometimes it's been rather surprising to me that what seems most on the mind of the potential uh, staff member <laughs> it is is the benefit package of the church. Do you have life insurance? Do you, what, tell me about your dental plan. Uh, how about eye care? Really? That's the deductible? Oh, my. It's a little distasteful. It's, I mean, that's what you do when you're applying for a job at IBM. Oh, this is the base salary? Good. Now tell me about the benefit package. But, if someone feels called, directed by God to a particular place, that minister, though the church has a responsibility, yeah, that minister has to leave it with the flock to work it out and entrust himself to God to supply. So if a guy says, these are my salary requirements, yeah, that's what you do at IBM. It's legit. I don't know if it's legit in the ministry. It's a little bothersome to I it's a little bothersome to me. I just, I don't, sordid gain. I, it's just kind of a distasteful. So if you're looking for, if you're relocating or or just had it with the rest of us and are looking for another church, which sometimes happens, we have a few things. Number one, find one led by people with spiritual leadership gifts. Two, uh, find one where the ministers are not um, lazy, that's a temptation in ministry, uh, uh, laziness. Oh, I feel compelled. I think I'll just, I just won't do it today. You know, I, I just have to tell you, I, I have the privilege of coming here and going from here pretty much as I choose. We don't punch a clock here. We don't fill out time utilization charts. I do not give an accounting about how many calls I've made during the week, how many times I shared the gospel, how many letters I've written, how many hospital visits, how much time I spend in Bible study. I don't, and I'm really grateful that I don't. There's a measure of trust shown here 
by the leadership of the church and, and by you. But I could abuse it. We could abuse it. When I come in, I go into my office, which you have provided. Um, I don't worry about a thing. You've provided it. I go in and I close the door often to do the things I need to do without distraction. But you don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I could be watching TV. Uh, I could be napping. I do do the napping thing from from, <laughs> from time to time. Um, I mean, I could be playing crosswords. I could be doing computer games. I, what I'm saying is the potential to abuse the privilege of ministry is is there. It's really there. There's no question about it. So there's a temptation towards laziness, and then there's a temptation to misuse funds, sordid gain. I don't mean just embezzling church funds, which is uh, happens sadly from time to time, but I mean just seeing it for, uh, you know, kind of a job, uh, you know, oh, we, you know, we, the cost of living, the inflation, the, the bull. We, 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 I don't know. I just think you sort of trust. You trust God to supply through his people just like the people trust you to minister to them. It's a trust kind of a deal. So if you're in a church and you don't trust the pastoral leadership, you are in the wrong church, folks. Do yourself a favor. Go to another place, please. So so you see the pastoral temptation for the elder. Uh, uh, the elder can be tempted to be lazy. The elder can be tempted to misuse money. And then um, uh, verse 3, which we'll end with, see it says, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. Here's the third area of temptation. So the first is laziness. The second is misuse of money or the wrong attitude towards money. And then the third is misuse of the position. I'm the minister, you know, I'm the... Whatever, therefore, you must do what I say, my way or the highway. This kind of thing is unacceptable. Uh, biblical leadership is different, again, than corporate leadership. Biblical leadership is servant leadership. It's, I call it leadership from the middle. A biblical leader um, plants himself in the mix of the flock so as to get a sense for the needs of the flock. What? so as to be better able to serve the flock. Biblical leadership is not, here I am, here's my agenda, you have to support me in it, whether it fits or not. That's not biblical leadership. That's autocratic leadership. Biblical leadership is, I don't have an agenda. It will emerge from the people allotted to my charge. I'll see what the needs are, and I'll shape and form a strategy of ministry to fit, which is why, though we ministers want to learn from what's going on out there, read books, go to conferences, we're responsible for that. It always gets me nervous when someone comes back from a conference or having read a book and wants to quickly apply what he or she learned to our situation. It may, but it may not. You, you, you see, that's not good biblical leadership from the middle. That's taking what works somewhere else and, 
and imagining it's going to automatically work in your place. But I, we got three boys. We didn't raise our three boys the same way. We studied their personalities, and every church has a personality. And so you want to be careful about standardized parenting, and you want to be careful about standardized pastoring as well. So, so three areas of temptation for a minister. Uh, once again, laziness, um, too much of a money orientation. You know, I'm going to the, uh, you know, the next meeting of the finance team to ask for a raise. I don't know. I suppose maybe there's a place for it, but I don't know. It just seems very distasteful to me for a minister to do those things. The minister may need to pray. I, my first church, uh, the people were not able to provide for us. Um, but I sensed the willingness to, just an inability to. Those are big differences. And I just prayed that God would help them along uh, so that we could be helped along over the years. And that's exactly what happened. But I didn't give any ultimatum. I'm sorry, unless you get us up to such and such salary level by year, such and such, we're out of here. That's what business people do. It's fine, but but that's different than church. Uh, Anyway, so uh, uh, if you're looking for a church, find a pastor who has a gift of leadership. Uh, Find one who loves the ministry. Look. I don't have an impure motive in telling you this. You know, one of the things that I find remarkable about our pastor is his, his enthusiasm for the ministry. Right. It's just remarkable to me. Over 45, 48 years, I don't know, I lose track of time. Um, when we have functions, I, I'll be frank with you, sometimes on Sundays, Brother Chuck, we, <laughs> we put in everything we possibly could. And there are times I think, oh, no. We got to teach three times. Then we got a baby dedication thing. Then we got the widow's banquet. Oh man, another day of rest. So, and you know, my attitude isn't so good at, at times. But I, I watch our pastor. He is just an enthusiasm level, which is quite infectious. It seems to me. It's not a demanding. You will do this. You will. Blah, 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 blah. Nobody cracks the whip around here. We're called to task when necessary, but generally it's by example, which is just what Peter, what Peter says. Lead by example. Don't lord it over the, uh, over the flock. So, so you want a pastor with a gift of leadership? Uh, you want someone who handles money, um, as a means to an end, but not as the end? Uh, um, and you want someone who, uh, um, is not lazy? But is enthused about the ministry, and and you want someone who's not going to tell you what to do. He's going to exemplify it more than anything. Now there are times when church leadership has to tell people what to do. If there's a theological aberration, no, the leadership has to take a strong stand and extinguish that fire. Uh, if there's uh, immorality or something, yeah, church leadership has to intervene lest it spread like wildfire. I understand that. But that kind of thing ought not be the general tenor of ministry. The general tenor of ministry ought to be um, biblical leadership, enthusiasm for the work, um, handling a good, good stewardship of the material resources entrusted uh, to the ministerial staff, and... Um, 
exemplifying uh, devotion to Christ rather than than lording it o- lording it over um, uh, people. So, okay, a little something. You need leaders like that when life gets tough. Life's getting tougher, it seems to me. So, if you're relocating, if you're moving to Huntsville, Alabama, um, or something. Um, to me, it isn't so much a specific denomination you look for. Now, that'll get me in trouble. But you look for a healthy, Bible-oriented, evangelistic, uh, soul-winning, missions-giving, uh, Christ-centered church led by elders who are the kind of people Peter describes uh, over here, it seems to me. I count myself very fortunate to be a member, let alone a staff person, but a member of this church. I would belong to this church, would have me, whether I was a minister in it or not. Uh, this is not a perfect church. We don't have perfect elders. We don't have perfect pastors. That's, that's not the deal. We really have good leadership, really trustworthy Godly, biblical leadership. And to me, that makes everything work. If the leadership is off, then you can't concentrate on the challenges of life. Then you get all kinds of internal concerns, just like in the military. If you can't be focused on the threat, we used to call it, because you're too focused internally on the poor leadership of your commander, you're very, very vulnerable. So... Thank God <laughs> we have good leadership. Uh, our pastor, executive pastor, administrator, we really have a good staff of, of, uh, of, of leadership. We have a great church that provides for its staff in the most gracious and generous way. Nobody I know who serves you is under undue financial pressure unless they have mismanaged what you have entrusted uh, to us. So we're not perfect, but we've got a very healthy, uh, I think, set of leaders and very healthy set of followers. So we ought to be grateful. Lord Jesus, we are. We're grateful. In this day of disenchantment on many fronts, we're not disenchanted about this church, your flock, uh, your shepherding through under-shepherds. Thank you for the membership, those who come. Simply wonderful. We're captivated by Christ. We want to glorify you. We want to grow. We want to help each other out. We want to win others. We stumble and fall and make big mistakes, sometimes even sin in the process. But our general direction is Christ's word, and for this we are very, very grateful. Thank you for the consistent uh, leadership on all levels here in the church, lay people, teams, just fantastic. We're very, very grateful. We feel secure. Uh, we're not asking for the storms of life, but we feel, Lord Jesus, we'd be able to keep our eyes on you should they come. Thank you so much for blessing us. Uh, thank you for loving us the way you do. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See, yeah, Jimmy. Uh, the, the tickets for our Christmas party are available right there in the back.